Welcome to the first episode of Vista Bowl 2022 Recaps from Reality TV Warriors. My name is Michael Armstrong, and joining me as always is a Canadian who finds it hard to put himself out there like he's a teddy bear, Logan Saunders. Good evening. Good evening, and I'm going to start with a question that I've not been able to ask for about 18 months. Where in the world is Logan Saunders? Where am I? Let's start with where I have been over the past uh, two months. <laughs> so right after Halloween, I got the hell out of Canada. I flew to Romania. I was in Bucharest for two weeks, did a couple day trips uh, outside of Bucharest, went to Transylvania, went to Dracula's castle, and then also where Dracula's birthplace was rumored to be. Met up with a friend who I played, who, who, who played in my Survivor games online back in the day, which was quite fun. And then I went to Cyprus. I stayed in Cyprus for a week in the town of Paphos, which I found has a lot of retired British expats there. A lot. And then I hear, was it Larnaca or Limassol has all the Russian ex- expats there? Not every single one, but, but most of them. Uh, I'm sure it's not 100%. And from there, I flew to Malta for a few days. Malta was Malta was an experience. <laughs> I got stranded in a ferry terminal overnight for a little over eleven hours during the storm. Some 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 absolutely terrible weather when I was there. I think there was about a day and a half where it was decent to be walking around doing to take pictures and stuff. And from there, I flew all the way to Thailand to meet up with my girlfriend, Jian. We stayed in Bangkok. We were originally going to stay there for three days. Three days turned into six, turned into seven, turned into eight. Then we took a 16-hour bus to Phuket, and we've essentially settled down here for the past three weeks or so now. We extended our visa for a month here in Thailand, and now they're doing a special COVID visa where you can stay here for another two months, so we might, we might do that as well. And that is where I am. It's also worth bearing in mind the last episode we recorded was episode 400, and that was the day before Halloween. We haven't actually recorded anything since the 30th of October. So yeah, that would have been three days before I flew out then, because I flew out on November 2nd. Yeah, I think in episode 400 we ended up talking about how you were going to be going away. Yeah, I was supposed to be going to Cambodia too, but things are just too crazy right now, and it's, it's just better to stay in one place right now. <laughs> and what did you think of this first episode? I thought it was really good overall. I liked that contestants had a chance to earn some money this episode, which is which has not been the norm as of late in Vidim. <laughs> there is a bit of a prize pool up for grabs this year, hopefully. And it was very familiar because pretty much the entire first episode was spent at a castle that I visited for about seven or eight hours when I was in Albania. So that was that was very interesting to see. It was very familiar. Yeah, I was going to say you have been to Albania. I was going to ask whether you had actually been to uh, to Skoda. Yeah, that's the that's where I spent about. I was in Albania just for a few days, but I stayed in Toronto one day where they had like their biggest protest of the past twenty or thirty years, if ever, where there was you know, pepper spray and a little bit of rioting around the town square. And then the next day I got onto, uh, I got onto a bus to Skodra, Skodra, and I was there for about three days. And one of the days I just hung out at the castle pretty much the whole day. And when I left the castle, there was a stray dog that followed me about halfway back to the hostel I was staying at. I've, I've, I uploaded pictures onto Facebook of the dog just following me for a good 20 minutes or so before it's like, eh, I don't know if I want to keep following you all the way to the hostel. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a rest here. I don't know whether it's just me, but mm. this premiere had a very Belgian vibe. There were certain things that Vidim hasn't done in ages that Belgi very much loves to do. Stuff like the flash forward. The having a hint at the very ending of the season, right at the start of the season. The fact that we really didn't get any introductions to who people were anymore we got that on the live stream on august 28th which i did watch but we really didn't get it as part of the main episode it was just a this is who this person is let's move straight on and the interviews with the mole we have seen that a lot in belgium we've not seen it in vidim for ages i was about to comment on that too i'm thinking i don't remember vidim doing this many 
showing this much footage just from their regular interviews before the season started because Belgium loves doing that. Yeah. And or Belgium loves doing that. And yeah, they didn't have any of the, you know, show footage of somebody from a TV show or from the news desk or or them singing or the, the opera singer in the cast. They didn't show any of that content, which I don't mind too much because I think with Vidim, they show that to say, oh, these people are celebrities. But I think after 22 seasons, I think you just have to accept the fact of, eh, I mean, they are celebrities, but they're not. They're on TV. <laughs> the hilarious thing is that probably the most famous person from last year's cast, at least in the last year, has been Josh now. Because did you know about Josh um, calling out the people who did the D- Dutch Grand Prix? I can't remember whether we discussed this. Dutch Grand Prix? No. I, 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 for, <laughs> enlighten me, Michael. <laughs> so if Jez ever listens to this, Jez is a mutual friend of, uh, of Justin's who I've befriended in the last year. I am actually talking sports here. So Formula One race in the Netherlands, the Dutch Grand Prix, it's owned by one of the Dutch princes, the um, uh, racetrack where they do it. It was right after the pandemic. And they they have like a um, like a halftime show and all that sort of stuff, like, you know, the Super Bowl, but for Formula One. And they weren't offering any money to the acts who played. They were offering like VIP passes to the Dutch Grand Prix. And Josh's band, Chef Special, got uh, got invited to play at the Dutch Grand Prix for free. And he called them out on their bullshit and said, no, after the pandemic, do you really think that we're ever going to accept exposure, basically? You can fuck right off. You pay us or we're not doing it at all. And this went worldwide. He got onto international news with this and called out a lot of bullshit, basically, and became very well known for a couple of weeks, at least, sort of in the uh, in the summer of 2021. And I'm just finding out about this news going, go on, Josh, you were great in Vidim, shut these people up. So you think that influenced Vidim's decision to up the prize pool a bit? I wouldn't be surprised, but obviously nobody does Vidim for free. I suspect there is a certain degree of appearance fee, but it's very interesting that they love to say, oh, these people are so famous, and then we've obviously never heard of them because we're not Dutch. But then Josh actually does make international news as a result of you know standing up for himself a bit. Yeah, that you know, lots of artists already get screwed over financially, right? They get into bad contracts, or they have terrible managers, or or people, you know, take their content and use it for free. It's good. It's good to it's good to see that debate be ignited every once in a while, in terms of what what the eth- correct ethical practice should be. But I think as a result of the pandemic potentially and certain decisions that they had to make, which I'm going to get into in a minute because I love one of them. I think they probably made a conscious effort to look to Belgium, see why people quite like Belgium, like us, and then maybe adapt it into their own into their own style and sort of refocus the idea. Because there's a lot that is really good in this episode, and a lot of it is stuff that Belgi likes to do. Now, the big question that I want to ask, because I don't think you'll have thought of this yet, do you think we're getting a reunion? Hmm. I don't ask that purely because of the fact that the Netherlands has locked down again recently. I ask it because of something in this episode. Yeah, I think they want to plan for both contingencies, right? Like maybe they, maybe after deciding to do it without a proper live reunion, see, okay, let's just go with this concept. And if they think it plays out really well, Maybe they nix it or alter it. I don't think we're getting a reunion. No? Why is that? I don't think we're getting a reunion because all of the eliminated contestants are invited to the unmasking. The unmasking has already taken place. It is established both at the start and end of this episode that every eliminated contestant is going to the unmasking ball in Tirana on September 16th in the Royal Palace. So every single person who is eliminated from this season has already found out who the mole is. There is absolutely no point to them doing a reunion if everyone knows. It's a good sign that a show that's super duper successful and has been around for 22 years that they're trying to look to see what are other versions, what are our neighbors doing that people are saying is better than what we're doing and try to come up with new creative suggestions that that fit in with the whole mystique of, of the mole. 
rather than say what Survivor does, where they come up with with new ideas, but they're usually game breaking ideas that screw with the core of the game with the mole. Whatever changes they they make don't break the structure of the game. They try they try to enhance it rather than break it. That's always a good sign. I will say now, I love the reveal idea. It is one of the best things Vidim's done for years, at least on the surface of it. Because if they are trying to make a COVID-friendly season without acknowledging COVID, which they obviously are, I obviously am quite on the record as hating anything that keeps shoving COVID down our neck. In fact, I'm reading quite a uh, big author's book at the moment that constantly refers to the pandemic and it's getting on my nerves. Yeah, after two years, no one wants to keep hearing about it. <laughs> yeah, it, it's like you don't need to constantly say the main character is taking her mask on and off, but that's another story. Um, they are obviously trying to work within the confines of pandemic filming and trying not to acknowledge it as much as they did last season, which they did a fair bit. They're keeping people away from the general public as a general rule, although I suspect Albania was probably fairly open when they recorded this. Yes, I I know somebody who specifically went to Albania to meet up with their boyfriend because it was the safest country that was the most immune from any sort of sudden change or restriction in all of Europe. The other element of why I don't think we're getting a reunion is because not only is everyone invited to the unmasking, but all of the eliminated contestants stayed at Ponderosa together. There is a Ponderosa for this season, apparently. Maybe Rick's contract expired in October. <laughs> They're like, oh shit, we gotta, we gotta film this before we have to renew Rick's contract. <laughs> I wouldn't necessarily be opposed to that, but that's, that's an argument I've made in previous years. Rick is fine, he's just, you know, he's not Papa Virgil de Costa, he's not art. It was a genuine delight to do two art seasons last year and remind myself why he's such a good host. <laughs> I know I'm jumping ahead a bit, but did you notice that Rick stands up or sits up very, very straight in his chair at the quiz? He's really trying to model really good posture. He reminds me of, of an elementary school teacher. Sit up straight, kids. I think there is an element of this is the most dangerous thing we've potentially ever done, letting the Netherlands see the first bit before the execution. I need to not fuck this up on live TV. <laughs> I could feel Rick's nerves because I watched the live stream on August 28th. It was very much a conversation topic in our uh, in our group chat in August was, holy shit, they're actually doing this. No one really knew where they were. The air conditioning in the theatre where they recorded it was very much not working when they were filming it, so everyone was sweating buckets. And in fact, uh, you can see a fan in, uh, in Velmut's hand at one point in the, uh, in the execution. But yeah, Rick was definitely nervous for that live stream, I think. <laughs> this has been probably the most pressure uh, he's ever been under as mole host, because... When you're live, you can't you can't screw screw it up. No, he could just refilm pretty much anything he wanted to, apart from that. It'd be funny if it was just complete word salad before and after live streaming. He just put all of his effort into pulling that segment off. Yeah, there's a few things in a mole season that you cannot reshoot. You can't reshoot any of the eliminations, really. You can't reshoot any live component, whether that is the live reunion that Vidim used to do or anything like this live stream. Everything else he can refilm over and over again if he wants to. So there is a certain degree of pressure in that. I would love it if they just reshot the everyone's execution reaction where they say, okay, you guys didn't react hard enough. You just just be natural and just, just have a stronger reaction when the person is executed. Okay, let's try this again. Suzanne is executed. Just have everyone go ballistic. Ah, fuck, she's gone. Oh, no, shit. Damn it, damn it. People kick over chairs. That would be great, and be, and then just say, "Yeah, that was a completely natural reaction. We didn't, we didn't tell them to do this at all." It goes back to something that Papa Bear said to us in our first chat with him that because of certain hints that they have done in the past on Belgium Mall, stuff like Peter blinking out the word "parade," you can't reshoot that. He had one attempt to do it every time, and the fact that he managed to do it perfectly every time is great. Yeah, all that needed to happen was have a bug go in his eye. They only had one attempt at each of those things, so it is incredibly ballsy for them to do it and do it again. But it's exactly the same with this live stream. I love the idea, and I love the concept. I think it probably is going to end in a big fat zero, I'll be honest, but I like the idea that they're putting this pressure on themselves and actually trying again. Because Vidim hasn't always been very good at trying. Being perfectly honest, the past few years, they haven't tried that hard. <laughs> and it's nice that even if this does fall slightly flat which it probably is the chances are 
that it's going to end in absolutely no money being taken or added to the pot at the end of the season. The fact that they're even willing to try these things is actually quite nice again. When I used to host Survivor Games online, those were one of the things I liked doing was doing minor twists that don't break the concept of the game, but are intriguing enough to where if somebody takes advantage of it, that's great. If it doesn't impact the game, that's fine too. It's just one of those elements where you know you know, you'll strike gold maybe once every few seasons, and that's and that's what makes it special. Yeah, and the the reveal being A, in front of everyone, B, on a very specific date, and C, actually being a cool on-location thing is very interesting, because in the Mexico season, I did suggest that they might do a Day of the Dead reveal for Belgium. They obviously didn't, but it's a similar vibe here, where they are using the idea of a masked ball to then reveal who the mole is. And if you think back to previous Vidum reveals, they tend to take place in, like, a garden or a stately home, like in Czechia. A floating platform. <laughs> Who's the mole? Oh, yeah, all these random lily pad pieces out in the water will form the picture of the mole. Yeah, we haven't really seen a high-concept reveal in a while either, which is really nice that they're even, even doing this. Although, what I would love is if the figure at the top of the stairs is not the mole and it's actually someone hidden in the crowd. I would love it if they have someone in a red cloak at the top of the stairs pretending to take the mask off and Rick asks, V is the mole. And then someone else just takes the mask off wearing a black cloak, takes the hood off and reveals who they actually are. That would be a better reveal for me. Or it's just somebody who takes it off and says, oh, it's really hot to have this cloak and this uh, mask off. Jeez, Albania's hotter than I thought. And then just have everyone else scream, you ruined it! You ruined the reveal! The downside to doing that reveal hint at the start of the episode is, I'm pretty sure we saw at least two people from this cast <laughs> in Black Clucks. <laughs> I think you could probably work out two people who are eliminated from that scene. It'd be funny if, if, if Clace was there from the China season, and, and instead of a cloak, he just had some really inappropriate shirt in front of his cloak. Where it's like, well, I think I don't think Clace is the mole. Or Florentine missed the uh, the memo and made himself a, uh, a custom duck costume. <laughs> oh, my. Oh, Florentine. I was told it was a masked ball. I came as a masked singer character. What do you expect? <laughs> so we open on September the 16th, 2021, with a car driving up to a palace in Tirana. Out steps a masked person in a black cloak who Rick invites inside, and they handed over an invitation to the unmasking. A bell rings, and someone in a red cloak appears at the top of the stairs, and that is all we see for now. And then we cut back to three weeks earlier, with everyone driving through Albania, with videos playing on the screen of everyone explaining what their mole tactics would be. They are on their way to Skoda, where the hunt for the mole will begin. Did you like the idea of them showing the mole interviews off, or the tactics interviews off? That's another lovely mind game to play with the contestants because everyone's going to overanalyze it and uh, and not see the crucial information that's staring them right in the face. It is, and I also think, like with this and like with the, the pitches in the live stream, which did all go on for about a minute each, the mole will have prepared for this. I'm assuming that those interviews were not taken before the mole was actually picked. The mole will have been picked by that point. And therefore, the mole's video will probably tell you absolutely nothing about their real tactics. I can't remember who described it as a mindfuck, but but one of the female cast members did. And I think between showing the preseason cast interviews to the contestants who thought it was going to be confidential, and then Rick telling them at the castle, oh, by the way, the mole was responsible for dividing you guys into two teams, and then the ending with the two exemptions and the pleas to to the Dutch audience, I'd just be so confused as uh, as a candidate on this season. It's just one mindfuck after the other after the other. Yeah, I think it was Suzanne who said that, actually, in her initial chat with Rick. But I think this entire episode, if I had to pick a theme for it, it would probably be the mole trying to make themselves seem non-threatening. Because it's going to be a very big question for us, I think, what the mole's tactics should have been in this episode. And I would argue... The mole's tactics are to play for the group and to definitely try and be the least suspected person by the Netherlands. Because as soon as you do that, you immediately know you're taking five grand out and no matter what else happens in this episode, they are at a loss. No matter what else. 
but also you have to seem consistent because it's one thing to do the first two challenges but then to pitch to the audience and say i'm this i'm that you can't then have anyone be suspicious that actually you're acting up to the dutch public because that will then make people suspicious of you yeah there's a lot of layers or a lot of different directions to where they to what the mole would do with all of these twists in the first episode yeah. Do you think the mole would place themselves in the money group or the uh, yoker group? I think they would place themselves in the, in the money group. That's the only way that they can directly sabotage and be in control of whether or not money goes into the pot. Yeah, I think so too. But on the other hand, would it be a better play for the mole to put themselves in the yoker group and try and make sure that those yokers stay out of the game? Because the people in the yoker group don't know how the other team have done and how many yokers they need to actually get as a team to cancel them out but what they can do as soon as that money's announced is go oh let's just all sneakily reveal how many yokers we actually have or encourage their team to reveal how many yokers they have and that way they can make sure the money goes out of the game because everyone is scared of yokers straight away absolutely yeah. no one wants anyone else to have an advantage earlier i was thinking yeah, if you were in the yoker group and you knew that the money team had 1,400 euros, you're going to be thinking, okay, let's reveal that we have seven yokers exactly. It doesn't matter if they, if we hide the one or two or three that Letitia and Thelmud do. We can say, oh, we have seven yokers, you have 1,400 euros, and that way the pot's down to zero no matter what. Or if you're in the money group, you're thinking, oh, the other group's only going to reveal that they have seven yokers, so all I need to do is just make sure we collect the exact amount needed to bring the pot down to zero. As long as we earn 1400 or less, no money's going to go into the pot, because it'll be pretty easy to convince everyone to buy up all the yokers. So the episode title is Time Will Tell, and Rick meets them at Rosafa Castle, and he asks them their initial guess as to who the mole is based on the interviews they saw on the way up. Kim Leanne says it is Suzanne, and she's told she's been chosen to be a part of the Take Trumps team. Thomas is second up, and he gets a slightly different speech from Rick. He picks Sahil, and he's in the Trumps team. Hale is third, she picks Arno, and he's on the Trumps team. Arno's fourth, he says Letitia. Letitia says Sahil. Sahil says Thomas, and he's in the Take Trumps team. Everyone says Glenn. Suzanne says Letitia. Glenn says Thomas. Wilmood says Hila. Frasier says Sahil. For the first challenge, they have 20 minutes and are in two groups, and that's literally all we know, which is another Vidim thing that really gets on my nerves. Tell us what they're doing. I wonder if next season what they're going to do is divide them into two groups, Biden's and Take Biden's group. I did think it was quite good to do anything that translates as Take Trump in light of the last year. <laughs> yeah, especially back in, they would have filmed this in September, so Biden's only been present for eight months, and everyone's thinking, okay, Donald Trump is finally out of the news. First task since then in Vidim is take Trump or Trump. Which team are you on? I'm thinking, oh, it's another way to divide the country. Yeah, given that this episode will be coming out the day before the anniversary of the uh, the riot last year, that's fun. <laughs> Happy anniversary. <laughs> that's something to celebrate, guys. So it's Kim Leanne, Frisia, Evron, Glenn, and Sahil in the Take Trumps team, and Arno, Hiller, Velmood, Letitia, Thomas, and Suzanne in the Trumps team. Both groups have the same logic puzzles, adding two poles to a mathematical puzzle to make it right, spinning a disc to get over a pole, getting a chest to a key through a bungee maze, a magnetic maze, picking up a log to get a key to a chest, and using sticks to pick a chest up out of a wooden tower. It's like a lot of obstacles you would see in a survivor immunity challenge all combined into one. Yeah. Honestly, there's not a lot for me to say in this challenge. <laughs> it's a lot of watching people do team building things. It was a lot of trying to figure out who was who and who was in a pair with who, because it's tough, especially if you're the English audience, to figure out, oh, okay, because uh, Rick kept saying, oh, you're on the take Trump team, and then you're on the Trump team. I'm thinking, oh, I thought, you know, at least make the team names completely different, like Red, your team Red and your team Black, not your team Trump and team take Trump. That doesn't That doesn't distinguish it enough. Yeah, I think last season they started using the word Trump as a sort of umbrella term for any advantage. So that's where it comes from. It'd be like in Survivor, you say, oh, this person has immunity. And within that, you'd have hidden immunity idols, the individual immunity talisman, tribal immunity idol, all under that umbrella. Yeah. Uh, just another, another Dutch word to learn. Fantastic. See? This is an educational show. We are learning certain Dutch words. 
I always say this whenever I encounter a Dutch person online. I'm like, I know certain Dutch words. I know Alflavoring. <laughs> Passfragen. Yeah, I know Passfragen. I know Joker. <laughs> they're, they're thinking you're a spy. They're like, oh, why do you know words that are associated with espionage? I know Truven now. <laughs> Mars, but Penny Macer. So that would be the one that would throw people off the most. How do you, the hell do you know Penny Macer? Yeah, you know, know ten words in... <laughs> Yeah, you can. You, you, like, there's app. You know, there's names of fruits and vegetables. Oh, I don't know strawberry. I don't know how to ask. How are you? Or who is this? But I know Penny Macer. <laughs> Also, one um, one big change from last season is the fact that um, our good friend with the ever-changing name is now uh, in charge of the podcast. And um, Facebook decided to also translate a post about him doing the podcast to uh, make his name Trashman, which uh, is his new nickname from me. <laughs> Trashman? Yeah, instead of Splinter. I don't know why they nicknamed him <laughs> Trashman. <laughs> but I love it. <laughs> Hilarious. Oh, and by the way, the vote count on who everyone thought was the mole when Rick asked each of the 11 contestants, I think the tally was uh, Sahil got three votes, Letitia got three votes, Suzanne got one vote, Hila got one vote, Thomas got one vote, Glenn got one vote, and Arno got one vote. I don't know why we had to see that, I'll be honest. I'm hoping it's going to come back in some capacity. I thought it was going to come into play at the end of this episode where it's like, okay, Sahil and Letitia got the two most votes for being thought of as the mole. They get the two exemptions. That's what I was thinking for a moment there. And then that curveball came. Yeah, I feel like it's going to come into play somewhere. I just don't know where yet. Damn producers for trying this season. <laughs> yeah, I know. On another Belgian-inspired thing, the average age of the season is very, very high. It's something that obviously because we didn't see the introductions to everyone, you may not have spotted, but the average age of this 11-person cast is 39.18. There is no one in this cast younger than I am at 28. Wow. No no wonder they struggled with lifting the logs there, why they needed three people to lift them up. They're all they're all so old. Yeah, I think there's there's at least two, if not three people in their 50s in this season, which is something very rare for um, for any sort of reality TV casting. Yeah, I'm surprised they didn't slip a disc when, especially when they were trying to do the little, uh, when they had that chest that they were trying to twist off of the, off of the stick, when it was uh, Sahil and Kim that were working on it, when Kim was holding it up and Sahil just walked away from it and looked up and said, "Yeah, yeah, just keep, just keep working on it. I'll just stand here." <laughs> yeah, there's three people in the fifties, by the way, because um, it's Arno, Thomas, and Suzanne are all in the fifties. What, Arno? Arno Arno's one of the older contestants? I would have never guessed. I will say this now. If Arno lasts long enough in this season, Arno is probably going to be my favourite this season. He's giving me Sinan Edigy, and I am very much here for it. Well, wasn't it Hila? She kept saying, oh, I got to lead Arno through this table maze, to the, that vertical table maze. And he just, he just can't figure it out. He's, he's, he, is he pretending to not figure it out, or what's going on? I love his curmudgeonly energy. I really do. It just made me it made me laugh a lot when they're camping. And he's just like, oh, I've got to camp. I haven't camped since I was 16. I'm 56. Why are you doing this to me, Rick? It's the worst thing I've ever heard. <laughs> During a pandemic. <laughs> yeah, I, ju- I just love it. <laughs> so yeah, the Taking Trumps team ended up grabbing 1,400 euros, and the Trumps team got, quote-unquote, nothing. But then they start all declaring that they have a Joker each, or Arno, Letitia, Thomas, and Suzanne do, and Wellmood has three. And Hila got absolutely nothing. And then Rick offers the money team a decision. They can pay 200 euros of their freshly earned cash to remove a Joker from the game, and they can remove up to seven as a result of having 1,400. They obviously, because this is Vidim and no one wants to give anyone else an advantage, especially in the first quiz, use all 1400 euros to remove all seven yokers. Rick then tells them they should have paid a lot more attention to the cash, because, you know, it had a hint to who the mole was. It'd be funny if it just says on there, Glenn is the mole straight across one of the notes and they didn't notice it. <laughs> Something very interesting. The Taking Trumps team did complete all six of their challenges, but they were missing 100 euros from the maximum. Maybe somebody ate it. Yeah, 
Maybe someone pocketed it, but I feel like they'd probably take more than 100 if they were them all. I think it's more than likely someone just accidentally left it in a box rather than the mole pocketed it because no one's going to care about 100 euros. Let's be real. And the Yoker team, they did three out of six. Or no, do they do all six assignments too? I think they did all six as well because I think the the total was nine Yokers in there. I thought it was, wouldn't have been ten because Velmud had two extra and Letitia had one extra. Well, it's three, four, five, six, seven. Seven were declared. And then there was ten. There, that means ten total, right? Well, there were, there were seven declared and then two hidden at the end of the episode. Or two revealed at the end of the episode. So there was nine that we know of. Oh, okay. I thought Velmud had two additional that she didn't declare, and then Letitia had one additional one that she didn't declare for a total of ten, but nine makes sense, too, if there's six assignments. I think the two that Velmud had were... The one she kept and the one that Letitia kept, I think. Oh. I might be wrong. The other option is, of course, that there could have been three in that box that was broken and they only managed to get two of them out. In any case, yeah, that's the quickest uh, sacrifice of 1,400 euros I've seen in a while. <laughs> if you were in the money team, would you have paid to remove yokers? Uh, when it's that many yokers, I probably... Uh, well... Depends who's come off as really smart from the other team. If it's a, I don't know if Arno has said, oh, I have four yokers. I'm going to think, you know what, Arno, you can keep those four yokers. I don't feel too threatened by you. You can stick around another round and make my life a little bit easier. I think there is definitely an argument that the mole on the surface should have put themselves in the money team because obviously you control the cash. But there is also an argument that you put yourself in the Yoker team as a mole and try and win a bit of favour by going, oh yes, I definitely have this Yoker that you can pay to remove from my hand, and I won't be too annoyed at you. Yeah, like try to pick up all the Yokers and say, all right, because if if you only find three or four Yokers, even if the other team buys it all off of you, that's still 600, 800 euros going into the pot. If you're in the Yoker team and you're the mole, just declare all the Yokers you have or just an enough as i said before to make sure that you know if you declare seven yokers then 1400 would would be taken away to get you down to zero you that's that's the only goal you have just get it from 1400 to zero in that in that moment in case you haven't picked up on the subtext this episode is very hard to do first suspicions off of which is exactly why we're doing first suspicions off of this episode there is a whole episode one metagame that is pervasive through this episode, which is really fun to talk about, but I think you can definitely make an argument for the Mole being in either of these teams. And because I think the Mole's goal in this episode is not necessarily to remove or keep as much money out of the pot, which obviously is their main overall aim, but to just win favour with the group, to seem like a team player, and to try and either encourage the Dutch public to give them the exemption and lose the team €5,000, or to encourage whoever gets picked by the Dutch public to give them the exemption and lose them €5,000. That is their sole goal in this episode, I would say, because it's worth more than the other two challenges combined. So Rick does also announce that they are camping at the castle in that evening, much to Arno's delight. And then we get an entire scene of Arno going up to people going, oh, why do we have to camp? Seriously, I've not camped since I was 16. This is unfair. People who are in the TV industry in Amsterdam, I don't think are known for going on too many camping trips. There's not really too many areas like that within the Netherlands. The best thing is, I know if I was told on the mole, oh, you're camping tonight, I would be exactly the same as Arno. I hate camping. (laughs) I would be miserable. It's the exact reason I don't want to do Survivor, is because I would be miserable having to sleep outside of a hotel. Oh, and I forgot to point out, when I was at that castle in Skodra, there were so many bugs flying around that castle. Like, it was to the point where I just felt like I was being eaten alive at that castle. And it was a really hot day, too, and there's just bugs everywhere. Just completely infested. That's the, that's the strongest memory I have of, of the castle, where it's like there were bugs in my eyes. Ugh. This is the end of August, so it probably would have been about the hottest time of the year. Yeah, because I was there in early July was when I was in Skoda, or very, very late June. So it was a really hot day, too. It was muggy, and there were just bugs everywhere. And I'm thinking, 
that's the one of the last out of everywhere I've been in Europe. That's one of the last places where I'd want to be camping and stuck outside overnight, <laughs> unless I had a lot of bug repellent. <laughs> so Rick does then return to give them their second challenge, and he tells them at home they have phones and watches to tell the time, but not on Vistamol. They have three tablets in the castle that they can use to tell the time, and they need to stop them at eleven twenty-two p.m. However. In 35 minutes' time, they won't be able to see the tablets, so they have to use hourglasses to try and gauge what time it actually is. In the morning, Rick will return and check the tablets, and they can be a total of 10 minutes off to earn 1,500 euros. I think somebody said, uh, do we need to stop the time at 11.22 p.m. or 11.22 a.m.? I wish Rick would have just said, well, we were going to say 11.22 p.m., but I really want to see how this plays out with all of you if you have to flip these hourglasses over and over until 11.22 in the morning. <laughs> that was Kim Leanne, and she is awesome. So it's obviously 11.22pm, 11 because of that's how many people in the season there are, and 22 because it's season 22, and they love their numbers on Vidim. And they split into three groups. Kim Leanne says she suspected Arno, so wanted to team up with him, and they team up with Suzanne and Glenn. Thomas, Everon, and Hila are a group, as are Fresia, Sahil, Letitia, and Velmut. Everon's team find out they have a 65-second hourglass, and he says basically just to round it up, as they've got 10 minutes buffer, it's fine. And the group of three figure out that they have an hourglass that lasts 15 minutes, which is very useful. What would your tactics as a mole be in this one, do you think? If I was the mole and I was trying to screw everybody over in this challenge, well... I wouldn't do what Thomas did. <laughs> Shouting numbers. <laughs> yeah. Shouting numbers and being way too aggressive about it to the point that everyone's thinking, this 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 guy can't be the mole now. He's essentially Yakum 2.0. <laughs> He's trying way too hard. I think there's just subtle. I remember in other concentration-based tasks on mole, a really good tactic is especially if somebody's trying to just keep track of, okay, we flipped the hourglass 12 times, 13 times. I would try to make sure I was in control of counting how many number, number of times it's been flipped. And if it's been about an hour and a half or so, I'd say, okay. So then we, well, we thought we were at 14 flips, 16, 17, 19. That's what I would be doing, just being really, really subtle about it. If I knew the person was just really relying on me to keep track of the number, it's like when you're in a group and you're doing some sort of tour and you have one person that's in charge of all the logistics and you just rely on their judgment. That's the position you'd want to be in as the mole, I think. Do you think that the mole ever has to actually try in episode one? You mean try try to actively sabotage? Yeah. I guess, well, they always say that's a tactic that a mole will utilize in the early episodes is just rely on the chaos of everybody else. Unfortunately, with this cast... I don't sense quite as much chaos overall. Everyone seems to be fairly organized and have uh, and have a level head. You, nobody named. There's no old chase in the cast that's going to drive everyone nuts yet. I think in a normal season, the mole probably doesn't have to try very hard in episode one, because especially in a group of strangers, it's maybe different in Vidum because people will probably have a reasonable knowledge of each other, maybe not having met that much, but. There's probably like mutual friends and stuff in common with some of the people in Vidumcast. In a cast of strangers, I don't think the mole really needs to try that hard because you're just kind of finding your feet with everyone and working out how these people work. Sensory overload. Yeah, as long as you can kind of not mess up too much in episode one or two even and sort of subtly do things, I don't think the mole really needs to do much. The mole can really start messing with people when the group is a bit smaller and they're used to each other a lot more. And it's a lot easier to hide. Like People might think, oh, increasing it from 10 to 11 people isn't that much of a jump, but in the mole, each number drastically shifts what's going on in the game. Yeah, and also increasing it to 11 people means we're probably getting a double elimination guaranteed. Either that or significantly less non-eliminations, which is great, and I love that. I remember in the season two of the American version when they had 14 people, Bill McDaniels did not have to do that much in the first few episodes of the game because it was just everyone was just trying to screw with each other as much as he was paid to do so. Yeah, because the tactic of pretending to mold is a very well-known tactic. And all pretending to mold does 
is then helps them all out themselves because they have much more cover. And I think Thomas was, as I said earlier, trying way too hard to throw people off to the point that the mall's thinking, hmm, I can probably just try and sit back here. Yeah, I don't have to do much. Yeah, and of course, between the three different tasks where they could earn money this episode, this was the riskiest one to stick your neck out as the mall. Yeah, because everyone could see each other. It's not like in the first challenge where they were on opposite sides of a hill, so they genuinely couldn't see anyone no matter what. They could directly see each other from at least one of the positions. And on top of that, it wasn't really that much time. They didn't really have that much time to screw everyone up with flipping the hourglasses because they, they started the challenge at 9.02 p.m. and the timer was to stop at 11.25 p.m. That's a very... That's, a very small time window to bank on the contestants around you losing their concentration, trying to get them to miscount how many times they flipped over the hourglass or throw in confusing math numbers casually too. It was two hours and 20 minutes that they had to do it for. Yeah, I think you gotta, it's got to be a challenge that goes until, say, 1 a.m. and then you can really screw with people after midnight or so. But especially the Dutch culture in general where people tend to tend to stay up later i don't think i don't think you can really bank on people losing focus by 11 25 p.m maybe in a group that's where the average age is 50 but but for, for the most part that's a pretty tough thing to do that's sort of the basis of why i i asked whether you think the mole really has to try that hard because this came up on the bothers bar discord um this morning why am i not on this discord i don't know you've not joined it. i'm very surprised because i talk shit about you on there all the time Oh, where's my invite? No one's invited me. Don't you have to be invited into a Discord or a link? The link's on Bother's Bar. Have a look. I can't be bothered. I'll I'll dig it out for you afterwards. <laughs> no, no, I'll find it. <laughs> yeah, there's a discussion on Bother's Bar Discord this morning that in previous mole series and in previous mole versions, including in the UK one, if they did a challenge like this, they would 100% make them do it overnight. Make them do it until the morning. Make them not even have hourglasses, make them make their own timer. They made this very easy, which makes me think that the mole really didn't want to annoy people that much in this episode. I think they were playing a long game with this challenge. I think it kind of fits in with last season too, where I know it sucks to keep bringing up the pandemic, but you don't want an ugly season during the pandemic. You gotta make it fun. You can't keep punishing players over and over again. Although last season halfway through they really punished them, but <laughs> And I don't know why I thought the timer stopped at eleven twenty five. We just talked about the eleven twenty two theme. But yeah, when it's just over two hours, it's not really much and everyone's still running high on the adrenaline of the first first day of the game. Good luck trying to screw people over within that two-hour time period, and the hourglasses were fairly easy to measure too, because they had so much time to figure out how long the hour each hourglass lasts for because what they were given 35 minutes to calculate the length of each hourglass yeah i think if i hosted a challenge like that i'd be thinking i'm just giving away free away free money for the contestants essentially it did feel like a free money challenge this it felt like everything was set up to give them a bit of confidence i mean look at the look at how the challenge plays out the first claw and they were given a 10 10 minutes of leeway I could see, I think if it's only two and a half hours, I think you got to get it within two or three minutes where it seems like that's a, that could be, that could be a difficult task. But the fact it was 10 minutes within a two hour window, I mean, even if the mole was successful on distracting them by making it at least a minute or so off, how do you get it so they're more than 10 minutes off? That'd be really, really tough to do as the mole. Yeah. And I think the other thing is, we know which clock was which because of who pressed at what time because the times were so so close together you can work out who who pressed the box when which then makes it very hard for them all to actually do anything with yeah no one was off by more than 17 seconds and they're all within shouting distance of each other so yeah i can't even imagine a group that could screw a challenge like that up yeah i, th I think with the pandemic they do want they want a nice vibe to the season. They don't want anything particularly ugly. But the question is whether whether they they want to just give them free money. And I guess you want to do that too, to determine who is the first penny macer of the season. Yeah, you don't want to go four episodes without a, uh, a treasure, really. 
And who is it? Thomas, Frezia, 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 Velmud, and Gila. Man, I'm not good with these Dutch names this season. All want to be the Penny Macer. Yeah. And Velmud was by far the most adamant about being the Penny Macer since she runs up to collect the money. I don't know if that was excitement or her trying to be that role, but she just saw she saw euros dangling and wanted to wanted to just grab it. She snatches it. She doesn't run up and take it. She snatches it out of Rick's hand. Maybe she was hoping she wanted to see if there is a clue on there. Is there a clue, clue on this note? I promise you won't make this mistake again. <laughs> so their their entire difference, given that they had a ten minute buffer, was fifty nine seconds on all three clocks combined. <laughs> One box was 12 seconds early, one box was 43 seconds early, and one box was four seconds early. That's nuts. And Velmud seems like she's going to be the penny macer, but Gila says, no, no, she can't She can't be. She went over there too quickly. She's out of it. And she gets seven, seven votes, I think? Uh, it's at least six. At least six. Six out of the ten votes? That's pretty impressive. So yeah, she becomes the, the first treasurer of the season. And something very interesting that you probably didn't know is, is the fact that the um, the font on the notes has changed, as has the font on the screen when money is mentioned, and mm. as has the test font. I don't know which font it is, I'm not that much of a nerd, but the font definitely changed between seasons. Welcome to 2022. Apparently, there is a theory that it is more in line with the, the network's font, but I don't know that for certain. I've only heard that from one person. And the funny thing with the quiz is the very first clip we see of the quiz is Suzanne giggling at her laptop. She's never seen a laptop before. Yeah, she's just giggling like, oh man, <laughs> you mean I don't have to plug in anything? It just works? Nobody's brought a laptop to the old folks home for her. <laughs> yeah. I don't need my, my grandniece to set this up for me. What's Weefy? So their challenge success gives them a total of 1,500 euros of 1,500 for the challenge and 1,500 euros of 3,000 for the episode and season so far. And Rick does burst their bubble a little bit by announcing that it's time for the test and execution. 20 questions on the identity and actions of the mole who have knows least goes home, except for the mole who can never go home. Arguably, none of them are actually going home this season because, you know, they're all staying at Ponderosa and getting very drunk by the sound of things. Uh, Albania does have a lot of cheap liquor. Yes, from what I've heard, um, Suzanne has basically said in interviews already that they got pretty rat-assed at Ponderosa most nights. Celebrities who don't have to work for a few weeks is a very dangerous thing. Yeah. Another Belgi throwback as well. They've actually acknowledged that it's um, three weeks that they were away, which it usually is for Belgi. They, uh, they've tried to shorten it to as close to two weeks as they can in previous seasons. I think Czechia was pretty much dead on two weeks, if I remember rightly. So Suzanne suspects Healer. She's very calm, but became fanatical in the second assignment. Frisia suspects Sahil and Glenn. Sahil is smart, but Glenn is dangerous. Healer suspects Thomas, Everon, and Kim Leanne. She's everywhere and nowhere. Glenn suspects Thomas as he brings chaos to the group. He's also focusing on Letitia and Velmut. Arno is going for Velmut, Sahil, Letitia, and Thomas as he's a destructive presence. Kim Leanne suspects Everon as he would be a good mole, and as an actor, he could play the situation. Everyone suspects Sahil. He's so smart, and he's also going for Hila. Uh, Sahil suspects Velmud, as she's an overplanner and super serious. Thomas says that he would have liked it if he had his Joker. Velmud says she's spreading over four people. Hila, Kim, Liam, Sahil, and Thomas. Those are the four who make her suspicious. She somehow still has a Joker. Then we get a flashback to her and Letitia, managing to sneak two Jokers out of the broken key box. And Letitia also plays her Joker, but we don't find out who she suspects. So Rick meets them at the Magjani Theatre for the execution, and we already know where this is going. And the live stream doesn't begin until after Rick's speech about what they've done so far. He announces to them that there are two exemptions to be earned for this test, or the candidate who is least suspected. And he gives them half an hour to think about their pitch. Do you think that the initial suspicion thing was to try and set them up for a blind side here of going, oh no, it's not the least suspected at the start of the game. It's the least suspected on day two by all of these lovely people in the Netherlands. By 25,000 Dutch people. <laughs> There's Johnny and Jimmy and Yanni. Not just Dutch people, can I point out? I was watching. Did you vote? Uh, no, it was on the app, so I couldn't. You had to actually be in the Netherlands to vote. Uh, VPN. Yeah, I know, but I couldn't be bothered setting that up for a 15-minute YouTube stream. 
can you imagine just just somebody responds to this podcast saying, "Oh, I'm a bigger, I'm a bigger English speaking fan outside the Netherlands than you guys," because a real fan would download the app, use a VPN, and vote on the live stream. I don't give a shit. I fully admit I'm not as big a Vidum fan as I am a Belgium fan, so suck it, guys. If you want to try and come at us, fine, whatever. And there's no rice jellies that can save you. I think it would be very interesting for you to watch the live stream, actually. There is a copy of it floating around, because they have removed it from YouTube now. Because all of these pictures, as I said, go on for a minute each, and a lot of them were very much cut down. It was very, very obvious, looking at the live chat surrounding it, that Arno was going to be the the Netherlands' biggest suspect. 100%. Nobody trusted him. Mainly because he did come across in his pitch as being a little bit like the villain of every single Disney animated film. <laughs> I think when we were discussing it in our group chat in August, I did describe him as as coming across as literally every single Disney animated film villain, because he did come across as being very untrustworthy in his pitch, and very smarmy, and like the sort of person you would not let anywhere near the mole. I don't suspect Arno much, I'll be honest. I think Michelle probably does. I'm hoping when I look at her pool submission, she has um, put him first, because I don't want him anywhere near my team, I'll be honest. He's not the mole. I mean, the way the way, the way that the, everyone had to present in front of the screen, and it was a live stream, it's like they're all about to be beheaded or something if the audience didn't, didn't care for them. I think the Ponderosa thing is also due to this idea, because the fact of the matter is, on day two of them filming this season, they announced the entire cast. Those bios were up on the website in August. And they can't go back to the general public in Amsterdam. They're going to be spotted within a day when you have, you know, 20% of all the Netherlands watching these episodes and we're aware of this live stream. It's like, oh, well, I guess we know who got executed first. Oh, this person gets spotted two days after that. Oh, we know who was executed second. So at least, at least production thought this part through. Traditionally, they do send people home straight away on Venom. They don't do what Belgi does and potentially sequester them somewhere else that Gilles keeps being very coy with us about. So they couldn't do that this season because of this whole twist. But it also then gives them a bit of an advantage in the pandemic because they can use those people again, sequester them, get them shit-faced, whatever they want to do, but then bring them back for the reveal and go, actually, we don't need to do a reunion this season because everyone's here already. The mole can just kind of talk about what they actually did. They don't need to do a, a proper live reunion. I think if we get a reunion, it will be one that was filmed in September. I wish one of the 11 would have just, you know, threatened the audience that's watching if they didn't vote for them to get the exemption. Like, just get really get really into the camera and say, oh, if you don't, don't vote for me to get this exemption, I'm going to look up every username and I'm going to find I'm going to find the shitty apartment where all of you live. Yeah, it, it was very interesting because they were very coy about this. They announced there was going to be a live stream called Vistamol, the unmasking. They didn't announce anything else. So when when you see Rick telling everyone what the, the actual purpose of the live stream is, that is the first thing that we saw on this live stream was him going, oh, by the way, you guys in the Netherlands are actually going to get to impact this season because you're voting for two people to get exemptions as to who is the least suspected person in this cast. Oh, and by the way, you can actually cost the group €5,000 in the process. I wonder if they could bribe the audience too and say, oh, if I get the most votes as the least suspected mole, I'm going to donate uh, €5,000 to charity or I'll give, I'll give uh, one or you know, five or ten euros to every single person out there who was watching. I suspect that they were probably told they couldn't do that. Or just think it's a really dumb idea. <laughs> yeah, I know you're being silly, but I suspect they were probably told there were certain rules of what they could and couldn't say, especially with it being a live stream. Yeah, if you give me the exemption, I will, you know, I will, I will you know, fund cancer research. For the exact same reason, I suspect they were told that they couldn't just make their pitch every single swear word they could think of, because they still had to be broadcast on the internet preferably to a family audience. Yeah, everyone just shares their really intense political views. <laughs> My name is Kim Leanne, and this is a story about how I had sex in a bush. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just so they share all their, all their past trauma. I just really want everyone to know this. Hey kids, do you want to hear a really dirty story?
I used to be part of the insane clown posse. Are you aware of the red light district? I think my favorite out of all the pitches was Sahil saying, was taking credit for solving math equations. And I was thinking, well, where are the other things that Sahil could take credit for? He could be like, oh, I was the one that came up with E equals MC squared. Oh, I was responsible uh, for the moon landing. I, de- I designed that spacecraft. Um, I, I made the coffee maker. That's the thing, because they didn't know how much we knew about what they'd already done. All we saw were brief glimpses of the first two challenges. So Sahil saying, I solved all of the maths puzzles. Like, nobody knew anything about these maths puzzles. At all. I completely forgot that Healy did reveal that she was the treasurer already, which I should have known because she did say it in the live stream, and I saw it and I completely forgot about it. But, like, we re- we knew nothing on this live stream. All we really could base it on was the pitches, because we didn't know who they were before this before the live stream started. And we saw maybe 30 seconds of clips of the past day of the stuff that they'd done, and that was it. So we do flash back to August 28th for the live stream. Rick reveals if the mole earns an exemption either by winning the votes or by being given it by the person who wins the vote. 5,000 euros will be taken from the pot at the end. If the Netherlands' top suspect is the mole at the end, 5,000 euros will be added to the pot. And I will say, purely as a personal admin thing, I'm not adding that 5,000 euros to the season total until the end of the season. I will probably forget in week 9 to do it, but I'm not doing it until then. Okay. And this entire challenge had the vibe of the, you probably know what I'm about to say, of the Japan Meal Challenge from season 10. Fritz Sissing is the mole. Of Queen Angela and Carol coming in to celebrate the 10th anniversary of Vistamol, or the 10th season of Vistamol, and having to play the game themselves. Neither of them had been on the show, actually, as a contestant before, so they had never had to guess a mole. And based entirely on limited information and being around these people for a couple of hours, they had to pick who the mole was. If they were correct, then money got taken from the pot. If they were wrong, money got added to the pot. It gave me Japan flashbacks, and that is not a bad thing for me to ever have to say, given how much I love that season. Yeah, this was kind of a it was a big risk for them to take, but I think it worked out well for this episode. Yeah, I don't think they could do this every season, but I really like the working around the confines of the pandemic and working around not knowing if they could do a live reunion and going, actually, let's work backwards from this. Let's keep everyone on location, but you know, maybe sequester the eliminated people. Yes, they'll know who's eliminated, but that's fine bring them back for the reveal so they get to actually see it in person for once. Maybe film a reunion on site if we can or if we have done, but work backwards from that. And oh, by the way, we can have a little fun with the public because everyone's not getting released back into the wild. Let's actually have a bit of fun with it and reveal the cast early and make them pitch to the public without knowing. Oh, and Suzanne's other thing that she says in her pitch is that she is too honest. The irony is, apparently, she didn't tell us the truth about who she suspected. <laughs> apparently, she didn't suspect Hila, but that's another story. So, the mo- 25,000 votes were cast, and the most suspicious is... Unsurprisingly to literally anyone who watched the live stream, it is Teddy Bear Arno. He says it's hard to put himself out there as a teddy bear, and he admits fully that he wanted to be the mole but isn't. <laughs> and doesn't like secrets. And it's like, dude... You are trying to pitch for why you are least suspicious. Stop coming across like that. Arno is my least suspected person out of the remaining ten contestants. <laughs> Arno is my ninth suspected person out of the remaining ten participants. <laughs> Who's number ten? Everyone. Everyone? I, th- I thought you said everyone. I'm like, what? Everyone? is so, so Arno's number nine and then everyone is tied for tenth? What happened to one first through eighth? We'll go through my list in a minute. Um, <laughs> so yeah, after more than 25,000 votes, the Dutch public decided that Arno was most suspicious and that Glenn is least suspicious. I didn't know who it was going to be for least suspicious. <laughs> Arno being most suspicious was not a shock. And in fact, when I was watching the episode yesterday and Rick was about to reveal who it was, I just like, it's Arno. Like I've known since August, basically, because everyone suspected him in the chat. It was very, very funny to to see how many people just go, it's Arno. Why have you made this so easy? It's Arno. What are you doing? It's Arno. I couldn't have disagreed more with the Dutch public if I tried, because Arno is my number 10 suspect, and Glenn is my number 1 suspect. 
Yeah. Like, Glenn, I don't suspect much more than I suspect Arno, put it that way. But, like, yeah, Arno isn't the mole. I'm sorry, he's not. <laughs> sorry, Dutch public, but you stopped them winning 5,000 euros. So there is now a 5,000 euro bounty on Glenn's head, and on the head of whoever else he picks, and he picks Everon. Arno, Sahil, and Kim Liana will get green screens, before Suzanne is given the first red screen of the season, and then an envelope from the mole on the way out. My suspicion at the time when I was writing this was that everyone is going to be at the masquerade at the end, and that does seem to be correct, because it is an invitation to a mass bowl on September 16th at the Royal Palace in Tirana for the unmasking. Sahil said that he gave everyone a codename in Moroccan. Yeah, and it was Mother. Moroccan isn't a language, is it? Because wouldn't it be, if It'd be Arabic. French or Arabic? Yeah, those are the two most common languages, French and Arabic. I'm thinking Moroccan, huh? Unless he's just talking about a Moroccan dialect of Arabic, which is entirely possible. Oh, yeah, or or a Moroccan dialect of French. Or maybe he was born and raised in Tangier, so maybe it's a Moroccan dialect of Spanish. I think he said it was Uma or something similar, which obviously sounds nothing like the French mother, which is Mère. Right. I suspect it's probably um, the Moroccan dialect of Arabic rather than of, of French, but I might be wrong. So next time, everyone is spinning around for cash in a theatre, the mole has more control during a reconstruction, and everyone gets to burst some balloons on a beach. So, who do you suspect, Mr. Saunders? Do I go from number one to number ten? Yeah, go from um, go from Glenn to Arno. Okay. So, I, so as I said before, Suzanne was my number eleventh suspect going into the execution, and she's gone, so it ruins things for me. I thought I was going to have an easy time this season. So, yeah, number one suspect is Glenn. Number two is Evron. Number three is Kim. Number four is Frezia. Number five is Sahil. Number six is Hila. Number seven is Vilmud. Number eight is Letitia. Number nine is Thomas, because I find him to essentially be a Yakum clone. And number 10 is Arno. And. It is also worth pointing out that only one season that we covered last year of the ones that Logan hadn't seen, of the three, Logan actually picked the correct mole at the end. And that was Oregon. So, take Logan's suspicions with a heavy grain of salt. Dead sea salt? Yeah, I am 100% saying this knowing that I am setting myself up for failure. Because, as I said to you guys last night, I did submit my first suspicions very early this year. I usually wait until after the podcast so that you can talk me out of my nonsense. But I thought, I'll do it early this year, and I'll have a look at who everyone suspects. And I was really confident with my list. And then I looked at everyone else's suspicions, and I'm like, I'm way off the average. (laughs) I'm so off the average on this, it's hilarious. But my order is from most to least. Uh, Letitia is number one, Frasier is number two, Velmud is number three, Kimliana is number four, Hila is number five, Thomas is number six, Sahil is number seven, Glenn is number eight, Arno is number nine, and everyone is number ten. So Arno and Hila are the only two that we have roughly in the same area of our suspicions. Yeah, so I actually have our numbers next to each other. We are one apart on Arno, eight apart on Everon, two apart on Frasier, seven apart on Glenn, one apart on Hila, seven apart on Letitia, one apart on Kimlian, two apart on Sahil, dead same on Suzanne, for obvious reasons, three apart on Thomas, and four apart on Velmut. Well, one of us is going to be very right and one of us is going to be very wrong throughout the season. (laughs) Yes. So, as I said, we have both submitted our first suspicions. Michelle's not done hers yet, so I can't reveal the pool, but I will reveal it on social media on Friday, hopefully, when it gets uh, released on Twitter. Our pool will officially be revealed in next week's recap. You can join in and give us your week one first suspicions with the link in our social media or in the description of this episode. I have already tweeted it everywhere. It will go out again when uh, this episode goes live, and it will stay open until the next episode airs on Saturday evening. You can also do the Bothers Bar suspect list each week, run by the wonderful Daniel Peake, at the link that I will put in the description as well. I believe that this is the 10th year that Dan has been running it, and that made me feel very old when I realised that last night, because I have been doing it since 2013. <laughs> First suspicions, as always, will be uh, rounded up and routinely mocked in every week's episodes, as I love to do until I'm wrong. Um, there's something else I was going to mention, I can't remember what it was. No, I can't remember what it was. Must be a lie. 
<laughs> oh, I remember what it was. The with the pool. <laughs> I can't remember what it was. It must be a lie. I, I, I deceived all of you. Huh. On the week one notes, I usually do a lot of like meta notes and stuff to remind myself to mention things. I'd completely forgotten this because it's an atypical situation. Because there are 10 people left um, in the game as of this week, when we draw our pool teams, there will be one person left over. That person will go to whoever loses someone in next week's execution, regardless of how much they suspected them. Ooh, a second chance. Yes. So we do. Chance. We have always had this rule when it comes to um, to odd numbers on the pools, um, but we have never really had to use it much. But because there are 10 people left over and there's three of us doing it, We'll each get three people regardless. And then the um, the person who gets an eliminated person next week will instead get the person who was left over as their fourth player. So regardless, we will all have three people left next week. Have you got anything else you want to say? No, I think we covered the premiere. It's longer than the episode itself. Only just, and to be fair, we do talk a lot of bollocks. So thank you for listening to our VS Mole 2022 recap. We'll be back next week to continue the hunt for the newest mole in Albania. Don't forget you can contact us on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, or Instagram, where we are, RTV Warriors, or you can email us and contact at rtvwarriors.com. Logan's on Twitter at LogSupercracky, and I'm MJ Harmstone. Thank you, as always, to Marika for the subtitles. We will see you next week. Peace out, and just chill till the next of flavoring.